0: So it was 10 p.m. on Christmas night, my very first Christmas, married to my wife, Kristen. And I found myself in a nearly empty Walgreens down the road from our apartment. We had spent our day doing the sorts of things you might expect to do on Christmas, opening gifts, seeing family from out of town, stuffing ourselves with a delicious Christmas dinner. My sister-in-law, Kristen's sister, had announced that she was expecting So we were going to be an aunt and uncle, Uh, that was really exciting, and we got home after a great day, turned into bed, and I just couldn't sleep. My mind was racing as I thought about the symptoms of early pregnancy that my sister-in-law had shared that she was having. And finally, I, I rolled over and said to Kristen, Kristen, I think you might be pregnant, and, and of course, she would know, I, I, you know, but she said, well, I, it doesn't seem likely. I, I'm not sure, but I mean, who knows? Um, but I, I don't think so. And I said, Kristen, I'm not going to be able to sleep until I know if you're pregnant. So that's how I found myself at Walgreens on Christmas night, finding the best pregnancy test I could find. I don't know what the cashier thought was going on. Um, and I, I, as I was driving home, I could barely get keep my attention on the road, because all these thoughts were racing in my mind. See, this was not the way we had planned things. I was in full-time seminary, working part-time. My wife, Kristen, had just started a job that, between the two of us, allowed us to afford the small one-bedroom, roach-infested apartment where we had not planned to raise our first child. And then we had all of these plans for the future that we thought might happen, like I'll finish seminary, Kristen will get a little bit more established in her work, and then we'll travel, maybe internationally. We thought maybe we would, for our first anniversary, go to Harry Potter World. And as I thought about it and I did the math, I said, if I'm right, we're gonna be bringing our child home from the hospital around our first anniversary. And all of a sudden, all of our plans for the future and everything that I thought was gonna be happening was morphing into this big glob of unknown. Well, I got home, and 20 minutes later, Kristen and I were sitting on the floor of our apartment, holding one another with nothing to say because we were parents. I remember praying that night, but I have no idea what I prayed. I had no words. And I mean, looking back, I'm incredibly thankful now. I'm thankful that the Lord gave us this daughter, and she brings so much joy into our life. Both of our daughters do. But at that time, I wasn't there yet. I knew how I should feel about the prospect of fatherhood, but I had all of these emotions warring inside of me, some of which I'm embarrassed to share because even now I'm a little ashamed of them, even though I know that the Lord welcomes our emotions. I just didn't have the words to say And thankfully, popular internet culture has given me a phrase that pretty much sums up how I was feeling. I just couldn't even. (laughs) You may have heard that phrase before, probably ironically. It it, it refers to that experience where we are so overwhelmed or so confused or maybe so angry, we have something that is bringing us to a point where we just can't even finish the sentence, apparently. (laughs) We can't even express what it is that we can't do. It's one of those phrases that we can joke about, but we all kind of relate to. That night when it came to prayer, I came face to face with my limitation as a human being. That night, I couldn't even pray. Part of our experience of Humanity is that we are limited creatures. We are inherently limited in our capacity to even. We are limited in our knowledge, our foresight, our strength. We are by nature finite because we are created beings. It's okay that we're finite creatures. But then on top of that, we're further limited by our sinful nature. We have... These conflicting motivations, these twisted desires in our hearts that make it difficult for us to even live up to the fullness of what we were designed to be as finite creatures. And when we contrast our condition, the human condition, with the infinite knowledge and infinite power and infinite goodness of the God that we worship, it's like there's this massive, untraversable untraversable chasm between us. Sometimes this makes the idea of prayer almost absurd. Why should the creator and sustainer of the universe care in the slightest about what someone like me has to say? What do I have to contribute in my prayers? I think of the words of David in Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Now, it is good and right to reflect on God's great transcendence, his knowledge and power that is beyond anything that we can imagine. But sometimes we let it do funny things to our theology of prayer. Once I was praying with a friend of mine, bright guy, had a graduate theological degree, And we were having a prayer time together, just just the two of us. And he started his prayer like this. God, you're sovereign over everything. You know what we're thinking before we even say it. So I don't know why you asked us to pray. But you did. So here goes. I may not have gotten that verbatim, but he essentially was starting his prayer with uh, an introduction to the futility of prayer. Or not futility, but he... sense that we don't understand why we do it and I think we may not use those words exactly but that way of thinking about prayer may be more prevalent than we realize even in our own hearts like maybe we think prayer is something we're supposed to do it's good to do but it's not really necessary it doesn't really change anything or we may say something like prayer matters because it changes the person who prays I believe that's true I believe that God does change our hearts through prayer, but I don't think that sentiment quite gets at the fullness of what scripture teaches about prayer. It doesn't account for some of the things that are in my Bible. My Bible says that Jesus told his disciples in the book of John, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In my Bible, James says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It may not make sense to us why our prayers matter, but I think this passage from Romans helps us a bit with this. I want to read it again to help frame our discussion. Romans 8, starting in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This passage helps us understand how it is that weak, limited people like you and me can pray effectively to an awesome God. This passage teaches us how we can pray when we can't even. See, our prayers are effective because we are not praying alone. The same Holy Spirit who hovered over the waters at creation. The same Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus to heal the sick and raise the dead. The same Holy Spirit who brought life to Jesus' body and brought him out of that tomb is at work in you and in me and in everyone who has been baptized into the family of God. And he is helping us to pray. That word translated help there isn't the word that's always used for help in the New Testament. A rigid translation, I'm no Greek scholar, but a rigid translation might be something like take up with on the opposite side. So think about like carrying a yoke. John Calvin says, commenting on this passage, the the reformer John Calvin says, the spirit takes on himself part of the burden. Now to be clear, the Holy Spirit is doing the heavy lifting in prayer. But I want to draw attention to this. Because it's important for us to note that the Spirit doesn't pray instead of us. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us to pray, which means that our prayers, no matter how weak, limited, are important. They matter. But instead of lobbing these prayers up to God and just kind of hoping something sticks, hoping that He hears us, we can pray with confidence that we will be heard, that our prayers will be effective because God the Holy Spirit is helping us to pray. So how does he help us to pray? I want to talk about two ways today that the Spirit helps us. First, the Spirit helps us to pray according to our deep need. And then second, the Spirit helps us to pray according to God's goodwill. So let's talk first about our deep need. We say we need something, when we identify something in our life that is missing, right, something that isn't the way that it should be. When I'm hungry, I need food. When we are tired, we need rest. When we are in pain, we need relief. Now, if we only ever had one need at a time, it'd be really easy to ask God for what we need, right? We just ask for that thing. Here's the problem. Human beings are more complex than that. We have physical needs. We have emotional needs. We have intellectual needs. We have social needs. We have spiritual needs. And sometimes all of these needs are actually kind of at odds with each other, and they're, they're conflicting with one, each, one another and fighting for our time and our attention. And then what's more, our needs are in competition with other people's needs all around us. We have all of these, these needs, and it's hard to know which one to bring to the Lord, right? I, I need to be known And loved, but I need to be safe. I need God's provision, but I need need to be industrious. I need to to work. I need to to, to be the kind of person that God's created me to be in his world. I, I need comfort, but I need challenge. We have all of these needs fighting with one another. And here's the good news. You don't have to figure out which is the one that you have to bring to the Father. You don't have to figure out that one thing to pray for. The Holy Spirit understands all of your competing needs. He knows your thoughts and your emotions and your context. And he knows the thoughts and the emotions and the context of the people in your life. And so while you're asking the Father for what you need, the Holy Spirit is coming alongside you and praying for what you really need. Sometimes my one-year-old gets really fussy. For no apparent reason. You pick her up, she pushes you to get down. You put her down, she cries because she's lonely. You put her in the high chair, give her some banana, she throws it on the floor and then cries because she doesn't have it anymore. (laughs) So you know what I do when that happens? I pick her up and I take her to her crib. Because as her father, I know that despite all the things that she thinks she needs at any given time, her deep need is to take a nap. That, that's the need behind all the other needs. As her father, I know that. Here's the thing. Sometimes I'm that cranky child. Sometimes I'm asking God for all these things that I think will make me happy, that I think will bring me peace. And, and some of them maybe I really need, and some of them maybe I don't. I don't know which are which, and I'm getting frustrated along the way. And all the time, the Holy Spirit is praying alongside me, Something like this. Father, what Kevin really needs is to rest in Jesus. Help Kevin to rest (laughs) in Jesus. See, here's the thing. I believe that God always answers the prayers of his children. I really believe that. And I believe that his answer is yes. It's just that sometimes what we're asking for with our words isn't actually what we need And it's not what the Holy Spirit is asking for on our behalf. The canon theologian of our diocese, Stephen Godier, likes to put it this way. The Holy Spirit prays the prayer we should have prayed. The Holy Spirit prays the prayer we should have prayed. Sometimes what feels like an unanswered prayer may actually be God answering the prayer that the Spirit is praying for us. Now, I hope you find this liberating. It means you don't need to worry about praying for just the right thing in just the right way, with just the right words. Oscar Wilde famously, famously said, when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. And i got to be honest, I think if God took all of my prayers at face value, that sentiment would be true. That vision of answering prayer is like an evil genie who grants you exactly what you wish for, but not what you actually want or actually need. That's not how God operates. We don't need to stress about whether we're using the right words or asking for just the right thing because Jesus tells us our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we ask him. We can just pray and the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. He'll do the heavy lifting. Think about this. In Jesus's moment of crisis at Gethsemane, what does he ask for? He has this pressing need, and he says, if there is any way that this cup, this cup of suffering, could pass from me, let it pass from me. And he says, your will be done, but we need to face the fact that Jesus actually prayed that he wouldn't have to suffer. Now, Jesus was perfect, right? He never sinned, which means that there was nothing wrong with that prayer. Even though it wasn't in the plan, and Jesus knew it wasn't in the plan, he knew that he was going to suffer and die. He told his disciples that. It was okay to pray that. Because here's the thing, the Father and the, and the Spirit, they both understood Jesus' deep desire. His deeper desire than avoiding suffering was to ransom his people that he loved. That's what he wanted, and he could only do that by going through the cross. That same Holy Spirit Who knew the heart of Jesus, knows our hearts. He knows what we most deeply desire. I find this teaching especially helpful when I just really have no idea where to start in prayer. That's how I felt that Christmas night. I didn't have any words at all. All I had to bring to the Lord was a roiling mess of emotions in my chest and in my stomach. Have you ever had that experience? It may be related to a specific crisis or maybe something more generalized like a sense of anxiety that you can't shake or a longing, perhaps for intimacy, perhaps for meaning, perhaps for success or whatever it is, this longing that never seems to be realized. You can bring that vague emotion to the Father and the Holy Spirit can translate for you. One definition of prayer that I love is the lifting up of the hearts and minds to God. That's why we're able to pray without ceasing, all day long. We certainly can and should pray for specific things. I think there's an important place in the life of the Christian for specific intercessory prayer. But we can pray throughout our entire day just by lifting our thoughts and emotions to God. And I think that it's helpful when we do that, because sometimes it's hard to, to separate um, lifting our hearts, our thoughts, and emotions to God from just kind of thinking about things. And, and one way to kind of non-verbally pray this is uh, actually an ancient sign that the church has had for a long time. You know the, the sign of the cross that people do sometimes in church? That's actually an exaggerated version of a more inconspicuous sign that Christians used to do. And we still do, actually. There's this little, this little cross on the forehead. If you've ever gotten prayer from a prayer minister, oh, it happens with baptismal candidates. A little cross... Marking the fact that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that we belong to Jesus. When you find yourself with your thoughts going everywhere and you just can't focus and you don't know the words to pray, you can do this little nonverbal sign. No one will even notice. They'll think you're wiping something off your forehead and say, Lord, I give this to you. You can cross your heart like this just a little cross saying, Lord, take these emotions. Lord, you know what I need. Lord, you know the words that I need to speak, the words that I don't have right now. I give these words to you. That little nonverbal prayer is a way that we can recognize that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, and he is giving the words to the Lord that we need. Now, as a brief aside, this passage actually really helped me make sense of praying in tongues. The first time I ever heard somebody pray in a tongue, it weirded me out. I had nothing in my past experience to help me make sense of this. And I would have dismissed it entirely except that it was in the Bible and so I felt like I had to reckon with it. Well, part of my problem was that I thought of prayer primarily as a cognitive activity. But then I read in 1 Corinthians 14.14 that Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Apparently there's some kind of prayer where maybe my mind isn't as fully engaged as I would expect it to be. Now, I don't think that this passage is primarily about praying in tongues, but I think it helps us understand it a little bit better. Because here's what happens. Sometimes we have these, these deep needs and longings and desires that the Holy Spirit has stirred up in our hearts that we don't know how to pray. Our minds haven't completely processed it, right? Our minds don't understand it. But we know we need to pray. We know the Spirit's praying for us. And so we just pray And when it comes out of our mouth, our minds still don't know how to process it. It's still unintelligible to us. But the Holy Spirit understands. The Holy Spirit is the one who is praying for us. This is one of the ways that he helps us in our weakness. I said that there was another way that the Spirit helps us. He helps us to pray according to our deep need. But he also helps us to pray according to God's goodwill. The last time I was here, you were doing a series on the high, high priestly prayer, or Jesus' last discourse with his disciples, and we talked about the life of the Trinity, how the three persons of the Trinity are in one sense distinct, but they are interconnected such that they, they share the same divine essence and the same divine purpose. They have a perfect understanding of one another because they are perfectly united with one another. So that means when the Spirit intercedes for us, nothing is lost in translation. Because the Father perfectly understands the mind of the Spirit. When we are communicating with God, the best translator we could have is God himself. But more than just translating, there's more to it than this. Not only do the Father and the Spirit understand one another, but they share the same purpose. They desire the same things. So we can be certain that when we are praying and the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, he is bringing to the Father needs that the Father already wants to fulfill. He's bringing to the Father requests for things that the Father already wants to give us. This is the delight and joy of Christian prayer, that God helps us ask God for the good things that God wants already wants to give us. God carries it from beginning to end. God helps us ask God for the good things that God already wants to give us. He delights in his children. He delights in you. You're not twisting his arm when you ask him for something. No matter how many times you ask him for something, you're not twisting his arm. He wants to give good gifts to his children. See, as it turns out, our deep need and God's goodwill are two sides of the same coin. In the end, the things that will bring us most joy are the things that God already wants to give us because he loves us. That's why we can pray along with Jesus, your will be done. Sometimes we misuse that line. Sometimes we use it to try to give God an out in case he doesn't want to answer our prayers, right? Like if I'm praying for John, and, uh, and, and I'm praying for John for healing, and I'm worried that maybe if God doesn't heal him, then it'll look like God can't heal. And so I say, if it's your will, heal John. Now, I think it's appropriate to say, if it's your will. That's an appropriate phrase, but it's not something we say to sort of give God an out. He doesn't need us to cover for him. Here's why we pray according to the will of God. The reason why we say, your will be done, it's because we're saying, Lord, here's what I want. I actually want this. But if you know a better way to get there, or if you know a better destination, I trust you. Because I know that you love me, and I love you, and I'm going to follow you. That's what we mean when we say, your will be done. The Spirit helps us pray according to the will of God. And because of that help, I hope this morning that this passage from Romans can kind of free us to pray. Not to worry too much about about how we're doing it or when we're doing it or where we're doing it. It's helpful to think about those things to to an extent, but just, just pray. It's not a burden that God is making you carry. It's a burden that God is carrying alongside you. It's an invitation into rest. God wants to meet our deep need perfectly by his goodwill. He loves you. You've heard that before to the point that it's cliche, but I want you to really hear it. God loves you. And he wants to give you good gifts. Let us not be afraid to ask him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.